This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nation Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Episode 10, our discussion on pediatric and adolescent Naffold and Nash. Plus, from The Vault, Conversation 15.3 from Season 3, in which Louise Campbell, Naeem Al-Khoury, Marcelo Kugelmas, and I discuss issues surrounding pediatric Naffold as they arose at the 2022 Chronic Liver Disease Foundation Conference. This Vault conversation comes from our wrap-up of the 2022 Chronic Liver Disease Foundation meeting last March. As we join an ongoing conversation, Naeem al is discussing the pivotal importance of including pediatric and adolescent NAFLD and NASH patients in drug trials. In a tone similar to Conversation 3 of this series, Louise Campbell asks whether we will develop results in time to help today's fatty liver patients, given how long it takes for things to be adopted. Marcella Kugelmoss notes that before adopting drugs, we can use lifestyle modification to help this population. And I note UK government efforts to improve the quality of information consumers receive about their food and the way the government is put, trying to place limits on fast food advertising. This leads to a discussion of an array of policy options. Before the conversation ends, it shifts to cover other elements of the meeting, including Mazen Nouradine's comment about how fantastic it was to have Nobel Prize winner Harvey Alter kick off Friday's session. One key point emerging from this episode is that the effects of the fatty liver pandemic will be with us far after we've begun to implement new drug and lifestyle interventions for adult patients today. This is a big issue with far-reaching long-term implications. So sit back, listen, digest, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Name Alkuri. We do need to also develop drugs for the pediatric population. So I think this is part of phase three drug development. At least in the United States, you need to have a pediatric study plan. We are working with several companies that are in phase three now to, to imagine how it's going to look like when we design the pediatric trials. We need more clear guidance from the FDA and EMA on what they would accept as an endpoint for pediatric trials. So this is an ongoing discussion, but I think we need it all. We need the education, the policies, but also we need the, the same things we do in adults from diagnostics to therapeutics. Louise Campbell. Can I ask Naeem how we get across then? Obesity and all of this is driving so quickly. How do we get across the argument of we need data? By the time we get data on the adolescent population now, if you look at Tracy Simon's work, they're going to be dead. But sometimes we've got to take that leap of faith. We've got to go ahead of the curve and prove that it's a benefit. We know education works. Can we wait 15 to 20 years? to drive the data argument that we see with obesity? Or do we actually reverse it slightly and say, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? People are going to survive and live longer and healthier. (laughs) Because we always get the argument from the opposite data, data, data. But in a disease like this, in adolescence that's moving so quickly and with such devastating outcomes, can we really afford to wait on the old paradigm? No, we should not wait until we have, you know, more data on the natural history. Because as you said, I mean, we don't want to wait years. We need to extrapolate a little bit from the adult literature. Would the idea that we will generate that data, we will have a better understanding. But as you said, you know, you have a 16-year-old with uh, stage 3 fibrosis on biopsy, which is not unheard of. Actually, if you look at data from tertiary academic centers when they biopsy children with NAFO, about 10% will have F3 fibrosis. So in that scenario, I think we need to be more aggressive and extrapolate from the adult data until we have more pediatric-specific data. I couldn't agree more. And unfortunately, you know, with the way research is done, this is a common practice in pediatrics that sometimes you just have to go with the data you have in adults, apply to 
to children until you have your own data. Yeah, so Marcel, just one second, but uh, to, to expand on one of the names, Miriam Voss was telling me, I don't remember if she's telling me or she said this in presentation, that she has at least three patients in her practice who are 14 and 15 who are cirrhotic already. That's less common, but certainly happens. Okay, Mar- Marcelo, please go ahead. Marcelo Kugel-Moss. You want to say that there are things that we can do today and, and things that we cannot do today. So as far as medications, we absolutely need to prove safety and efficacy before we take any sort of leaps. And we have to be rigorous about that. I do not advocate cutting any sort of corners, but we can uh, start at a population level to promote the things that we know that are beneficial for this disease. And I think there was very good conversation throughout the meeting about dietary and lifestyle modification. And uh, a part of the problem of why those things don't work is because there's not enough people that are committed to it because of lack of support. So that goes a little bit back to laws, government, and those kinds of efforts outside of pure medication to try to put our efforts where they're going to make a true impact. And if we can get these kids to exercise and eat better, they will get better. That can be done. So there are things that we can do today, not medication. We cannot do medication today for pediatrics, but there are other things that we can do today. So, so question. In the UK, one of the important things that they have done, and Louise could talk about this far more than I, is actually start to take on the food industry over the question of labeling. And in fact, the food industry has now come to the table and said, we'd like to label better. We'd like to be clear about this. With the idea that labeling should address these issues and labeling should address sugars a lot more uh, aggressively than we have otherwise. You know, in New York City, uh, in, in the States, either because of the nature of who's powerful in lobbying or what folks are concerned about, that's been a much rougher road to hoe. First of all, Louise, did I capture the UK correctly? And then to the other three of you, can you see the US getting to a place where we can become part of an effort to lobby for not just telling kids or parents you got to do better, but actually starting to change the nature of what gets advertised? Mazen Nureddin. Uh, um, Roger, I mean, I actually want to just step in quickly. There has been an effort actually in the United States, and uh, I don't want to get, get political, but Michelle Obama many years ago launched the My Plate concept. That I do agree with you that we should do more and press more, and it shouldn't be just changing from administration from Democrat to Republican or Democrat to Democrat. It should be, it should continue, but we do love it less a better job as entire system in the United States uh, compared to England, for instance. In the context, Michelle Obama, if we take her as the example, her program came out of the fact that her one of her children was seen by a pediatrician and told that they had fatty liver disease or they were overweight and the presumption was they may develop fatty liver uh, because she covers it in her autobiography, which I've read. And it was out of that, because they were all travelling, that... They were eating a lot more processed foods and a lot more junk foods, and the children were young. Not mo- Most people don't have access to paediatricians. Now, these are highly intellectual and intelligent people, and it managed to happen in their family. The majority of people, particularly those of lower socioeconomic classes, don't have access to chefs to be able to work that schedule for them or the information. So if it happens in higher economic families and well-educated, we have a problem. So she started that foundation. It's a fantastic 
democratic initiative irrespective of any political divide, it's good. Here, the Bite Back 2030 campaign is driven by young people in their teens and early 20s to stop industry and particularly social media sending 500 adverts a second for junk food. Now, the government here has done very well in the context that they're considering turning around a U-turn on it, but they're banning advertising of junk food before nine o'clock. They've already done a sugar tax. We know that South American countries have done that and it works. So there is a move to help childhood obesity, but there is no education in school on it. There is none of the education of how we operate and look after our bodies to help us be weller for longer in life. That's for me where I'd like to see the education. That's where I'd like to see families and children taught a lot younger. The most complicated system that we're ever going to come across is how we look after ourselves. We don't even know the basics. Um, and I think that's where education needs to start for me and wait, and prevention in that and more activity in school, but better school meals. So I think it always has to start a lot younger, particularly if we're going to save the generations that are there now and the ones upcoming. Just to go back to Roger's comment about can we actually be the engine for that change and can we push for it? With fatty liver, this is sometimes for the families, as you said, even with Michelle Obama, this is the first sign that, you know, eating unhealthy food, gaining weight can lead to organ damage. The liver is probably the easiest organ to demonstrate this. When you say your child is overweight, obese, people don't think of obesity as a disease. When you say you have high cholesterol, it doesn't translate to them that there is heart damage. You know, even with prediabetes, they don't understand that the pancreas is sick. I think with fatty liver, once you say that, it, it, it's kind of a shock to them. And maybe we can use this, uh, not to use scare tactics or anything, but I think, you know, this is the one of the first organs where you see evidence of uh, the damage caused by unhealthy diet and sedentary lifestyle. Um, and maybe it could be a starting point for a campaign where we actually sit down and discuss with the health policy makers and food industry uh, and be more specific to fatty liver as opposed to obesity, which has many um, issues related to stigma and, uh, you know, social issues. Uh, I think maybe focusing on fatty liver would be a good starting point. Yeah. And Roger, let me add one thing also to that. I still think we have a long way to go. There are a lot of foundations that they help medical research and a lot of them are focused on cancer, which is very, very important topic. But guess what? Obesity leads to cancer and it's not if it's not one of the most common associated factors or cause. Fatty liver is associated with cancer. So I'm, I'm going to call people hopefully to help us like, you know, the Gates Foundation, Miss Melinda French Gates and Priscilla, Ms. or Dr. Priscilla Chen, that they support medical research to support us. Maybe you can send our audio to them and convince them that they need to get the non-alcoholic family report along Michelle Obama. We'll bring all of them on the show. I, I like it. I like it. I, I have to tell you what, I, I like Naeem's comment because if you want to pick one statement that can get people to sit up, it's American diets today are damaging the livers of one out of every five kids and adolescents. That's a pretty intense number. And sometimes you really have to just cut to the heart of what matters. And I'm a, I'm a big fan that you should always be optimistic twice and pessimistic once. I, I think you're right. People don't think that obesity, well, you can lose weight. But until you turn it into, there is something in your body that you are damaging by doing this. It's getting worse. 
Uh, yeah, certainly is. Other comments, I would like to take a few minutes and talk about the Saturday morning sessions. Other comments on, on health disparity and diet, I think we've covered pretty well. Yeah, I want to make a quick comment on the on that day in general for the CLDF. It's great leadership, thanks to Zubair, Marcelo, Ira, Sammy, and I'm sorry I'm forgetting anyone. Great conference between the Nash, Nash Connect and uh, what we're going to talk about next over Connect it has been really landmark uh, conference and I really enjoyed it, enjoyed the weather, enjoyed seeing friends and we're going to talk about liver connect but you cannot talk about a better start than having uh, the hardware altar starting that day and now back to roger we hope you've enjoyed this recording if you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded the conversation or send an email to questions surfingnash.com we'll be back next week with another innovative and inspiring conversation until then stay safe surf on we'll see you on podcast bye bye now